0: listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I'd love to invite you in your Bibles back once again to the Gospel of John, the very first chapter we've been walking through. Uh, The first 18 verses of John for our Advent series. And, you know, thinking back, as as Adam said, that, man, I have many great Christmas memories. And I'm thankful for so many of them. And I know Christmas is a difficult time for some. Um, God has blessed me far beyond anything that I deserve. And I've got some great memories. I can remember being a kid, bringing home all those Christmas ornaments I made, At school and my mom pretending she was really excited about it and now knowing that and we had one of those hodgepodge trees. It had all kinds of things. I can remember going to my grandmother's home and it always had that warm and inviting feeling to it. It just always felt special being in her home. I can remember being in the backyard with all of my cousins, and playing with all of our new toys, especially the yard darts that was our favorite before they were outlawed. And we just had all kinds of fun. I remember driving to Fort Smith, Arkansas, looking at the Christmas lights every single year uh, with my family. As I got older, I, man, I got some great memories of meeting a young woman and And realizing how they celebrated Christmas and their traditions and being able to be a part of Marla's family in that. Then having a family of my own and watching them get so excited about Christmas morning. So I've got some great memories, but there's one that always stands out to me. And it was the Christmas of 1984, if you can think back that far. Many of you were not even alive yet. I was 11 years old, so you can figure out how old I am now. And it was a transition time for me, and I can still remember this. It was the time of year that I received a gift that said that I was moving into a different stage of life. I was moving past the stage of Legos, which you really never move past Legos, but past the He-Man action figures and my Transformers, uh, I was moving on to something else, and I remember sitting next to my dad's brown chair, and I held this long rectangular box in my lap. Could not wait for it to finally get to be my time, and we were one of those families you had to wait, and everybody open, and... Then you would get to the next person, but it was finally my turn, and I had no idea what was in this box. And I ripped off the paper of this box, and there I saw, I couldn't believe it, was a brand new Savage single-shot 20-gauge rifle. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. That finally, do we have a picture? There it is. The actual gun, that, that, that's what I finally opened. Because I remember just a few months before, I just completed my hunter safety course. And I could not believe that now I had my very own real gun. Well, as I think back about that gift, really what truly made it special was, uh, was really what followed. My mom made breakfast. But, man, I could not take my eyes off of that gun. That was all I could think about. But what happened next is what really changed things. A little while later, my dad went into his room and put on some clothes. And he came back out. And I was afraid my dad had just gotten a call that someone was sick or someone was in the hospital and he was going to have to leave and to go visit them. But he looked at me and he said... Let's go squirrel hunting. Man, I, I'm telling you, I could not have gotten dressed any faster. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was it was Christmas morning, and I was going to get to go do this with my brand new gun. So my dad uh, packed me into his 1973 Ford Bronco, and we drove to a place that my dad had gotten permission from, Remember we got out, we took a few practice shots, he made me review all the safety protocol again, and then we headed into the woods and there was my dad with his gun, and there was me with mine walking through those woods. We'd stop and we'd sit down underneath a tree ever so often and watch and listen. But I knew I knew my dad was was a busy guy, being the only pastor of a church. Uh, there was a lot that was demanded on him. But, but here's what made this gift so special. And I loved that gun. In fact, I still have it today. But it was really just being with my dad. He was actually giving me a much better gift th- than the gun. He was giving me his presence. I'd never st- I never st- thought in a- about this so often. And I'll never forget that morning. I, I mean, it's almost like I can still, I can remember what we were wearing. Um, I, I, I can remember even the sound of us walking on the leaves through the woods. I still remember that old Ford Bronco. But it was my dad's presence that was such a powerful expression of, of his love that far outshadowed the gift. The great thing is that I still have that gun, and man, I can't wait to one day even pass it on to my son. But as great as that gift was to me, I want to share with you this morning a gift that is far greater. In fact, we could probably all pull the best gifts that anyone has ever given us, and it would not even come close to what we are going to see this morning. Because there is a gift that will far surpass all of those that any person could ever give us. And we're going to read about the gift today in the passage beginning in verse 14. So John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14 today. It's that famous verse that begins by saying, And the Word became flesh. And so John goes back to the introduction of the very first verse of John chapter 1 where it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and it was with God. And we saw that John goes back to his introduction of Jesus as the Word, the Logos. So Jesus, the eternal, always existing, the one that made everything, it was completely God, He becomes flesh. But notice that Jesus does not just appear like a man. Jesus became one. He'd always existed. And He is 100% God. He was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what we see is Jesus has always existed, and He is 100% God. And now we see that His humanity is added to His deity. And this is describing that great word that we often hear around this time of year of Christmas of the Incarnation. That God incorporated in flesh. Here's what I want us to understand is that the Incarnation is one of the basic theological affirmations of the Christian faith. In fact, it's one of the ones that is the major dividing line between false religion and true Christianity is the Incarnation. You're there in John chapter 1. Flip over just three chapters to John chapter 4. Make yourself a note. Draw a line to John chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Let me show us how this basic theological thought is a major dividing line that he became flesh. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And here's how you know the difference. By this we know the Spirit of God, and here it is. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and now is in the world already. So it's a major dividing line of true Christianity and false religion. So, as Christians, here's what is so important that we believe and affirm this morning. First of all, God the Son is God, 100%. He has always existed. He was not created. God the Son, He became flesh. And we call him Jesus. He incorporated, he took on humanity. He didn't just appear as a man. He became one. But at the same time, he remained absolutely sinless. So God the Son, he does not give up one ounce of his divinity to become human. He doesn't lose any of it. He was 100% God and he is 100% man. What we see from the first five verses is such a powerful uh, picture of the Word becoming flesh, born into humanity, but it even gets better. Notice, and the Word became flesh, and look what the Word does. He dwelt among us. This word, dwelt, it means to tabernacle or to tent. And it means that God the Son came, and He he set up camp. He, He took up residence here on earth. So he didn't just be, become flesh. He became flesh and he lived among humanity. Now this image is such an interesting one. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Remember the children of Israel. They have just been released from bondage in Egypt. They're headed to the promised land. But they don't get far and their sinfulness comes front and center, and God sends them into the wilderness. They're still on their way to the promised land, but they're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness wandering around. But even though they are wandering around, God doesn't leave them by themselves. Moses, he's instructed to build this this structure, and it's called the tabernacle. The structures where the presence of God would dwell among the people. It was to be always the center of the camp, depending on which tribe you were from, which where you positioned yourself. So even though they were in the wilderness, God was with them and he was leading them, guiding them, protecting them on their way home the tabernacle. It was set in the middle. They, everyone gathered around it. It was the place where the law was kept in that holy of holies. It was a place of revelation where the high priest would go in to hear from God. It was the site of sacrifice where people would bring their animals. It was also the focus of their worship. But only Israel, Only Israel was privileged to having God's presence among them. No No other group, no other group of people did God dwell within them. No other nation, no other people had the blessing of God's presence. But now, notice Christ has come to tabernacle, to set up residence, not just with Israel, but with us. He took on flesh, he, he took up residence so that he could guide and lead and protect us as we're on our way home. And isn't that such a great picture that you and I we're not home yet. Amen, oh, how I have been reminded of that this week. Many of you know, um, Eric Barton, our downtown uh, campus pastor, had a major heart attack this week at the age of 44. Here's what's so interesting. As I walked in, I was sitting in talking with him and his wife, and they said the heart attack's actually what saved his life. That it revealed some major blockage that if that artery had closed, that things would be much different. But knowing that we're not home yet, that God still has a plan for us. So in some ways, yes, we're living in the wilderness, that we are not home. But God the Son became one of us, and he, he, He's basically put a tent in our own backyards. And He does it so He can be close to us. He does this so that we can have interaction with Him. He does this to lead, to guide, and protect us as we're on our way home. But I want us to see how He comes and, and dwells with us. Look at the last part of that verse. It says that the Word became flesh And dwelt among us, and when we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When God the Son came, He came as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to notice two things about Jesus, what He displays for us. First of all, God the Father, His glory, His beauty can only be seen through the Son. He's invisible. We could never know the Father. But the Son reveals who the Father is. And Jesus is the only one that can reveal God. The only way to know and to experience the Father is actually through Jesus. There's no other way. This is why we cannot say it's Jesus and Caesar or Jesus and Muhammad or Jesus and Buddha, that Jesus is the only way to know the Father because He is the only Son. Second, He says His coming displays truth and grace. So what does He mean here? I believe that his revelation, he's saying, first of all, it's gracious. Meaning, you and I don't even deserve to be able to know the Father. There's nothing in us that could ever earn that us the right to be able to do that. So even the revelation of the Father to us is a gift. And then he says he comes in truth. So first of all, God could have created us, and he could have completely hidden himself from us. He had total right to do that. We did nothing but turn from him. But he reveals himself graciously, but also in truth. Meaning, the revelation that the Son reveals to us, it can be trusted. The Son reveals God the Father to us. We don't deserve it, and we can trust it. His revelation is full of grace and trustworthy. So John then ties this back. Do you remember last week, John the Baptist, or maybe a better way is John the witness. He's reminding us once again that God's plan for for pushing back the darkness in the world is us. In verse 15, John bore witness about him and he cried out. This was He of whom I said, who I've been talking about. He who comes after me, He ranks before me. He outranks me because He was always before me. So John's now going to use three verses to show us the Son taking on flesh and dwelling among us, what it does. So He came, the Word came to us, it became flesh, it dwelt, and he does that to reveal the Father in grace and truth. And in verse 16, notice how he comes. He comes from his fullness. I love this verse that Jesus came as that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He does not come out of any kind of deficiency, he comes from the fullness. But what does it mean? It means that God the Father put all of his resources behind the incarnation. That God put all that he had and all that he is behind sending Jesus. He didn't hold anything back. I mean, think about one of the greatest gifts you've ever received. I shared with you one, another memory I have is I was in the 8th grade. I was in the 8th grade and it was really cool. It was really cool to have high-top tennis shoes. And uh, if you've ever watched Back to the Future, that's what I'm talking about. But you never laced them. That was uncool. And uh, they, we almost, you, they flopped around everywhere. But I remember seeing all my friends get them. But I knew things were difficult for us because my dad, we had just built a house a year before. I knew that was a, a big stress on the budget. But God was doing something in my father's life, and he was uh, very... Um, dissatisfied with where he was my dad didn't know what to do and so my dad became a salesman of selling all things encyclopedia britannicas you know you can't even find those probably anymore but he, he there was something god was doing now what we know now is six months later god would be moving us to texas but it was during that time of the season i knew money was tight But my mom brought me into the room, and she opened up the Sears catalog. Uh, That's how you had to shop in rural Arkansas. And she says, do you like these? And she pointed to a pair of high-top tennis shoes. But here's what I know made that gift so special, was what it was taking to bring that gift to me. It was coming at a great sacrifice. I knew then there were probably things that my mom and dad would go without. And so it was what was behind that gift that made it stand out. So the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, had the fullness of all that God is behind it. From His fullness, it comes to bring us something. Look at the last part. We have all received grace upon grace. So he puts all of his resources, but his fullness behind sending Jesus. And we all receive grace upon grace. So you could say grace in place of grace, in place of grace, in place of grace. I mean, the thing that popped into my mind was last summer. My family got to go and spend some time at the beach. The waves are coming in, and it was one wave after another. Our kids have finally gotten to the age that they love the beach. The salt water doesn't bother them anymore. And just watching them play just brought you so much joy. But The cousins had a great idea. They dug a hole in the sand, I don't know, 10, 15 feet up from the shore. Dug a hole, and they would take their buckets, and they would run back to the waves, wait for the next one, and they'd come, and they'd all pour their buckets in and fill the hole. There was hey, and then it'd all go away. And they would do that over and over and over again. I just couldn't help but laughing, watching them trying to fill that hole with that water. But What I'm reminded of is that as they kept pouring that bucket of water into that hole and it would disappear, every time they ran back, there was another wave and another wave and another wave. And it never ceases You could go out there at any moment of the day. Some waves are bigger, some waves are small, but every moment of the day that sea is coming in and going out. This is what I would hope we would see, is that no matter how many trips they took, there was an endless supply of water. So listen to how Martin Luther puts it. This spring, or I'd say this wave, Jesus, is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth from God. It never loses anything, no matter how much we draw. But it remains an infinite fountain of all grace and truth. The more you draw from it, the more abundantly it gives the water that springs into eternal life. Meaning, you and I will never come to the end of God's grace. You can never get to the end of it. It is never-ending. So now notice John's great thought in verse 17. His grace, it's never-ending. It's grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. And I mentioned earlier that Israel was the only nation that received the blessing of God's presence. God is the only one. He's the only one that he gave them only the law. That was God's plan, but there was another phase to it. So for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So grace and truth, who does it come through? Jesus Christ. Now don't miss this subtle point. God's blessing was first only to Israel. They were his chosen ones, not because they were great, not because they had the most numbers, but only because of God's sovereign election did he choose Israel for a special purpose. But in this point, now, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. This name, and you need to make a note here, this name, Jesus Christ, is only used, every time it is used, it is a reference to Jesus after his resurrection. So why would John use the post-resurrection name for Jesus Christ? Because aren't we talking about Jesus coming, being born in the manger in Bethlehem with the angels and the shepherds wrapped in swaddling clothes, the incarnation? And I say, yes. But here's John's point. The coming of Jesus is the ultimate gift of God. But this gift is not just a baby born in Bethlehem. Jesus' coming includes being born of a virgin in a stable Placed in a manger, but it also includes his life, death, resurrection, exaltation, and return as a king. It's the entire Christ event. In this past week, we've been using a, a devotional book with the kids. The, as Marla is getting breakfast together. The kids are gathered around the, the bar there, and she'll open up this book, and we'll read from it. And There was one... Um, insert this week and this is what it said as you picture the original nativity scene place two spikes in the baby's soft pink fist and lay another at his squirming feet jarring as it may be that's the message of god's gift to the world a message to all who long for healing and of the Spirit, and healing from the ravages of sin. And then later that week, Paul Tripp said it great. He notices. He says that although he was carried in Mary's arms, Jesus came into the world with the full weight of sin and redemption on his shoulders. So this is why John uses the post-resurrection name. The incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, and dwelling with us, taking on flesh, is that Jesus is, he is the best gift that God the Father could ever give us. Because it includes every event that Jesus would experience, especially the cross. So his becoming flesh and dwelling among us would be meaningless without his death. So here is what we see, the entire Christ event, not just Christmas, being brought to us. Then the last verse, because no one, no one's ever seen God. No one's ever seen God the Father, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So when you read through the Old Testament, you discover that there is an idea that was thought of to be the greatest of all blessings. The greatest blessing that anyone could ever receive. You read it in several places, but I've pulled out two. One is in number six, beginning in verse 24. And it's often used as a blessing that would say, And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Then in Psalm 67 verse 1 it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah. So having God look at you, having God's presence, that was the greatest blessing anyone could ever imagine. But there was a problem. No one could look upon God and even live. I mean, Moses, he had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock just for the back of God to pass by. The people of Israel, when they gathered around the mountain, when God was going to ascend on it, they could not even touch the foot of the mountain and live. It was something they so desperately desired. It was the greatest blessing, but they could not have it. God's presence, Him looking upon Him, Him being with them, was viewed as the greatest of all blessings, but we could never get to Him. So, in order to receive the greatest of all blessings, God's presence, God had to do something, and He did. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Since we could never get to God. Because of our sin. God came to us. And I'd like to ask us to all think about it. And reflect upon that. The greatest of all gifts. The most powerful expression of God's love. Was God giving us his presence. Becoming flesh and dwelling among us You know, the other night, we had one of those rare moments it seemed like at home, we were all there together, and I'd heard there was something coming on TV, and Marla absolutely loves this group. It's a group called Pentatonic Pentatonics, and it's an acapella group that was on a show, and uh, Marlo get in the car and turn on her phone and and find that Pandora station of them. She just loves to hear them sing and all the, the noises that they can make. And here is this group of five people, no instruments, making incredible music, singing about Jesus. Now, I have no idea where they stand with Christ, but here was a group singing about the coming of Christ. But I couldn't help to think about how many people are going to go through Christmas. Go through this Christmas season and it be nothing more than just a sentimental thought. A good feeling. Because the birth of Christ, because here's what has happened. The birth of Christ has actually been thrown in with everything else. They sing about the elves, they sing about the Grinch that stole Christmas, they sing about the wonderful life, and oh yeah, here's one about this baby in a manger. But the narrative of Jesus' birth is not simply another part of the Christmas pageantry. The first coming of Christ is not simply another great story to think about at Christmas time. It is the pivotal moment in which every human soul stands. But if Christ is just one more cast member of the many Christmas characters, then we have exchanged that precious gift, the incarnation of the God-man, for a cheap imitation. So we don't simply need to just put Christ back into Christmas with everything else. We need to allow Christmas to be all about Christ. Because in the first Christmas, God gave us His presence in the form of Jesus, Jesus Christ. He walked among us. He taught us truth. He showed us God's character. He died to give us eternal life, and He left His permanent presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'll never forget opening up that savage Single shot 20 gauge. I'll never forget that. But I would not trade that morning hunting with my dad for anything. Because he gave me his presence. And there is nothing, there is nothing that will ever surpass the greatest gift of God's presence in your life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The greatest of all gifts was not us getting to God. It was God coming to us. Let me pray. Father, this morning, your word is such a great reminder that if we're not careful, we can make Christmas nothing more than just a sentimental thought. And shame on us and forgive us for taking the narrative of the Christmas story. And just placing it among everything else. When in fact Christmas is all about you. It is all about your son. And so Father help us over this next week. As we begin thinking and anticipating that Christmas morning. That we would remember the greatest of all gifts. And that is you giving us your presence. And it is in his name, that greatest of all gifts, that we can pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.